Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Know the difference? Team Tech Trust. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, February 23rd. I'm Danny Clayton. Hello, Mark Oswald. Good morning. Derek Felsky, how are you? Good, Danny. And Dave, you're sounding like you celebrated National Margarita Day last night. How do you get a cold in one day? Who knows? We're good. We're fine. Let's uh, let's get after it, my friend. Let's celebrate nine weeks. Nine weeks of what? Yeah, nine weeks in a row that the market has gone up. We talked a lot about where we were on Christmas Eve, and it really didn't make a lot of sense. And since that point, uh, we're up about 18, 19 percent in nine straight weeks in a row, Derek. We are, and and not only is the is the stock market acting well, but elements of the fixed income market are as well. For example, the high yield bond market, which is a fairly good indicator about recessionary risk, is actually at a new all time high on this move mark. Uh, so with a sixty basis point advance this week in the S and P, we're up a little over eleven percent year to date. Well, you look at all the negative news that we had in the markets back in December, and and the wall of worry we talk about all the time. But you know, so much of that seems like it's just kind of gone by the boards with with the way that the markets have responded. And of course, if you have a balanced portfolio, you're getting some of that stock appreciation. And of course, you're having your bonds, as, as Derek said, behaving well as at the same time. And those are positive things. So, you know, a lot of stuff going on, guys. Certainly the week in review when we start thinking about what drove the markets this week. What were the big news that, that investors kind of digested or the markets digested this week? I mean, to me, it's, it's really that the stock market and investors are forward-looking. We've seen, you know, a slowdown in earnings estimates. We've seen S&P Visions uh, move negative for the last four or five five weeks, particularly. We've seen the Atlanta Fed reduce their forecast for first quarter GDP from 2.4 down to 1.5, now to 1.4 percent. But the stock market, as I say to many people, is truly a discounting mechanism. And and the signs of a trade agreement, positive comments from Washington on Friday, uh, lead some to believe that perhaps the analysts have overly discounted in a negative way the future. Yeah, and you talk about the things that have been pushed to the wayside, number one, the Fed has clearly paused. Right. Uh, they may be on the bench the entire season, uh, the entire year. We'll see if that actually happens. And it looks like, uh, by what the president said uh, Friday afternoon, it looks like that we're getting closer to a U.S.-China deal. And those are the two things that were certainly uh, affecting the market. But here we were, again, late in the fourth quarter of last year. And a lot of people, in fact, someone just said to me the other day, I got my year-end statements. We'll look at them now because there's been a recovery, a substantial recovery since that point because a lot of this stuff has been pushed aside. There has. I mean, the other thing is the crude oil market, for example, which many people use as sort of a barometer of the health of the global economy, is up almost 25% year to date, still below the, the levels it set last October, but a strong rebound in that market as well. So what do you think of the concept of, of global slowing when you when you look at the, the markets and you look at future earnings and things like that, when you look at Germany and Japan and Australia and economies like that and the central banks still making 
easing moves in those economies, how much effect does that have on U.S. stocks or, or investors right now? Well, it, it does, Mark, because you look at where the German boond is, the 10-year sure. German boond is at 10 basis points, Think folks. Of that. that is 10% of 1%, 10 basis points. And so if, if you're a German investor, you're going to say, I'm going to go buy the U.S. 10-year, which is the reason why it's staying low, Derek. That's true. And, and the other point I'd make on this is it's typically the United States that leads the world in a recession, not vice versa, particularly given that the U.S. is over 70% consumer-driven. So so all of these things that have happened around the world has kind of made the Fed's life a little bit easier. The dollar's been strong. That restrains inflationary pressures. The low rates overseas have, have led to lower long rates in the United States. With earnings coming in uh, very, very good for the fourth quarter and diminished expectations in the first half of the year, the bar is fairly low, particularly now that the Fed has, has basically said they'll pause, uh, which suggests, you know, where is your alternative? Stocks still look cheap relative to fixed income on an earnings yield basis, as we discussed in that presentation, uh, Dave, that you and I did this week. So, you know, I, I do caution that we've had a very sharp, strong move. The market is certainly overbought by any number of technical measures, but those those technical overbought conditions are usually ratified by a consolidation, not a pullback, not a really severe pullback. Right, and I think that's what we're going to see. It's not, not that there's complacency here, but there's certainly going to be some consolidation. And one of the things that we want to cover, Danny, when we when we come back, is some changes we've made in our portfolios and the fact that we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary of this bull market. All right. So that is right around the corner on Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, February 23rd. Here we're sitting at 1014, seeing this rain coming down. I know you're not thinking about the family cottage. But you might want to, uh, Dean Phillips, along a little bit later, uh, we have a new presentation called Saving the Family Cottage. It's really good. If your family cottage or your lake home or whatever it is is going to stay in the house, you'll definitely, or stay in the uh, family, you definitely want to uh, stick around for that. That's on the way. It's Money Talk on WTMJ. Know the difference? Team Tech Trust, Money Talk, Annex Health Management, Saturday, February 23rd. Welcome back. Here we go. What's the old David Bowie song? Chit, 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 changes. We made some changes this week, huh? We did. We made some changes this week, and it was something that we've been contemplating for a while in our investment policy committee, but uh, Derek, after we've had a significant uh, recovery, we thought it was time to make some changes. Yeah, we had actually gotten a little more aggressive with our portfolios you know, in the fall, frankly a little bit before they bottomed in, on Christmas Eve, and, and we decided basically to move our the risk of our portfolios and the various risk tolerance sleeves from outside the pie, which for us is a fairly aggressive stance, back inside, but still more, you know, a little bit more aggressive than neutral, given what we mentioned about stocks being more attractive uh, than bonds, Mark. And, you know, most of this is really about managing risk because as the equity market has improved, 90% of the volatility we see in portfolios comes from the equity allocation. And we felt that a 20% rally off the Christmas Eve lows was an appropriate point to reduce our equity exposure by about 5%. When I look at things like this, sometimes it helps me to draw an analogy. And I, I think of a speedometer, you know, if you're comfortable driving between 45 and 55 miles an hour, and there's a reason to go to 58 miles an hour or 60 miles an hour because you think there's an advantage to doing that. All due respect to the state patrol, you know, the fact is is that you can go outside your comfort zone just a little bit when it's 
taking an opportunity. Then when you want to rebalance or you want to go back within that, that comfort zone, you bring it back into that parameter, that 45 to 55 range. And that's what we did this week. Right. We, so we reduced the equity exposure um, basically by eliminating a couple of funds that we felt weren't uh, performing up to our expectations and adding exposure to funds that we feel continue to do so. And then at the same time, and I think almost more significantly, we changed the allocation in our fixed income area because for the longest time, you know, we've had this belief that we weren't likely to see a recession, uh, the default risks were really low, and so bank loans were a key component to to our fixed income strategy. They've done really well. We've gotten a nice you know, above market yield from them, north of 5%, and they don't have as much duration risk as other fixed income vehicles. So in the, com- in the combination of reducing equity exposure and reducing our exposure to bank loans, we added to an ultra short-term bond fund that has shown tremendous results, gets about a 2.7% yield, but an effective duration of only 0.26, which means that if interest rates rise, the principle of this ultra short-term bond fund will go down less than uh, one quarter of the percent rise in interest rates. So let's switch gears. So here we are uh, coming up on March of 2019, and 10 years ago in this studio, March of 2009, uh, we had the feeling that it was overdone, and we started to make some moves back then. So here we are 10 years into a bull market, and one of the discussions we had is, are we starting to see late cycle behavior out of this market? And and Derek, you know, you, you and I did this presentation uh, at the Fister Hotel this week, and we talk about the strength of the economic expansion and how long it's gone on. Right. It has gone on for a, fairly, a very long time, um, more than typical. But the thing about it is the, the magnitude of the recovery has been muted all the way along. And, and it's, it's really kind of impressive that, you know, we haven't seen the excesses you typically see after this long of an upward business cycle. For example, we don't see inflation. We don't see wage growth of north of 4%. We don't see an, an inverted yield curve. We don't see consumer confidence rolling over to any great degree. Leading indicators remain positive. And now, you know, we've got, you know, the uncertainty over a trade deal potentially being resolved, which could give this uh, business cycle a little bit more oomph going forward. So that goes into the rest of 2019. It doesn't appear that there are any indicators that are flashing recession right now. Well, that's for sure. And when you start looking at the terminology that we use, you can have a correction, you can have a bear market, and then recession is a completely different thing. That's the economy shrinking where you're not, you're having negative GDP. Derek talked earlier in the show about GDP from the Atlanta Fed estimated around 1.4, 1.5%. Worldwide, that's still pretty good growth right now. I mean, it's not China growth, but it's pretty good growth. And when you look at the annualized growth rate, if you can get that number to be 2 or 3%, you're a long ways away from a recession. And that's that's true. And, and the other thing that I thought was interesting this week is the Chinese stock market, which had really been in the doldrums, right? The president had talked about the weakness of the Shanghai Composite uh, relative to the S&P at nauseum last year as, as a leverage point. In his negotiations w- with the Chinese authorities, that that index was up three and a half percent this week. So, you know, I wonder how much of this global growth slowdown is really due to the fact that other countries, not the United States, but other countries are far more exposed to changes in trade policy than the U.S. The U.S. has been a safe haven. So again, this is another time to to perhaps look at your equity allocations and see whether you're under or overweighted overseas markets versus the U.S. Because the U.S. has been a stellar performer for a long period of time, as Dave mentioned, for 10 years. And people's portfolios have got to be out of line if they've made no changes during that period. 
That's Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Stand by. He's here for the rest of the show, along with Mark and also with uh, Dave Spano. Coming up next, Saving the Family Cottage. That's next with Deanne Phillips. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. It's Team Tech Trust at Annex Wealth Management. We are a long way from opening the cottage for the season, so it's perfect time to talk about the dynamics involved when a family inherits and then shares a vacation home together. This was a very popular topic last year. Huge amount of interest, so it's back this year and leading the effort. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Hey, thank you for having me back, Danny. Boy, it can't be simple. Grandma and Grandpa decided to pass along a family asset like a cottage. Nope, not simple. But hopefully, Grandma and Grandpa are still alive and the planning can happen while they're still around because, you know, it's about keeping the property intact without conflict and with a clean ownership transition and, of course, without paying the unnecessary taxes. I got to guess that each case is different, but when a, like a family cottage transfers from grandma and grandpa, what is the process that we suggest? Well, we really want to understand their financial plan and their legacy wishes. And then we work through the monetary requirements and then the legal package that might surround that property. So no one first off should assume that all their kids want the property or the cottage. So family meetings can assist with getting understandings on the table first and laying it all out. And we also need to see a financial plan for grandma and grandpa. So is there money to fund a trust or an LLC to assist with the maintenance, upkeep, and expenses? Are there ground rules that need to be set for ownership and use of the cottage? And I'm going to guess that any kind of planning needs a good calendar, reserve dates, almost like a timeshare? Right. Well, unless you want every relative and their dog there on the 4th of July. That's true. So, you know, again, taking a look at usage and having rules around it helps. So we've seen situations like maybe each side of the family has their own bedroom so they come and go when they want or no reserving for the holidays or holiday rotation with the families um, you know we just have to remember in Wisconsin there are limited nice weather days you know I hate to say it but divorces happen and say a family cottage is is then in in a trust or or some other ownership uh, agreement how does it get covered to protect it and keep it in the family? Hopefully, if grandma and grandpa are still around, they could create a trust or a family limited partnership or an LLC with an operating agreement. And one of those entities could specify if the cottage can only pass through bloodlines or if only bloodlines, for example, get a vote on issues around the property. So you need a legal entity to help protect your interests against divorce and creditors and bankruptcies also. So, But it'd be a terrible thing if a divorce happened and the non-bloodline ex ended up with an interest in the share and they sold their interest to a stranger. That could actually happen with improper planning. So you mentioned trust you also mentioned maybe an LLC so it sounds like there's different ways to do this there are different ways to do this but using a legal entity can help define parameters help protect there's really no one-size-fits-all we actually have a legacy flowchart that we use at annex with clients to see what will work best for them in terms of transferring the property this is why annex has an in-house estate planning attorney educator who actually assists our many clients with properties 
to really make sure that it's protected and if they want to keep it in the family, that the right pieces are put in place. And this is why we do this educational workshop, and this is a very popular one, and it's coming to our Lake Country office. It is. So we'll be in our annex office in Delafield on Tuesday, March the 5th at 6 p.m. Now, I'll be there along with Jill Martin, our in-house estate planning attorney, and together we'll cover the emotional, legal, and tax considerations when transferring real estate. Um, We'll also cover ramifications from lack of planning or improper planning and also offer some possible solutions to make sure that properties are transferred the way that the family intends. So the official name is Saving the Family Cottage. You can find details at AnnexWealth.com. Look on the Events tab. Client education is a priority here, uh, Deanne. Got anything else cooking? We do. On Tuesday, March 12th, our Women, Wealth, and Wisdom group will be meeting at Arte Studio in Wauwatosa for a workshop called Painting the Future, Education Planning for Families. So with the rapidly rising cost of college tuition, there it, it, we see it leads to some sticker shock, Danny. So we're going to, on March 12th, not only sip some wine and paint our own masterpiece at Arte Studio, led by a, a professional local artist, but we're also going to discuss the mishaps that can occur when applying for financial aid and college scholarships. This is for any woman and her friends who have a goal to assist with family college education. Moms, grandmas, aunts, friends, all welcome. And then on Wednesday, March the 13th, we'll be at our Mequon Annex office for Destination Retirement Are We There Yet? at 6 p.m. You'll learn how a comprehensive financial Financial plan works kind of like your GPS, understanding your balance sheet, resources, smart tax and investment planning will be discussed also. And you'll actually receive an interactive workbook to help you plan your retirement destination. So grab your spouse or a friend, head out to Mequon. But again, it fills up. So be sure you pre-register at AnnexWealth.com. Look in that upper right corner and you'll see events. Dan Phillips, thank you. Pleasure to be here, Danny. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. Education is a priority at Annex Wealth Management. We do the daily radio reports. We share stories using LinkedIn and Facebook. We've got a popular weekly newsletter called The Axiom. We've got a ton of workshops and our various team members are out speaking on panels. The list goes on. One of the technology tools we use is the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel and here to talk about it is Director of Marketing, Greg Batty and Silla. Hey, Greg. Hey, Danny. So tell us about that channel. How long has that thing been around? We uh, started the YouTube channel actually relatively recently. It was uh, about three years ago when we started to kick it off. You can find it at youtube.com slash Annex Wealth Management. What you'll see there is our attempt to make sure that in case you really liked a segment on the radio or wanted to share something that you had heard from us, uh, give you an opportunity to share it with your friends or maybe even bookmark it so you can refer to it later. Well, here's an example. A new video from Tom Parks is simply titled, What's a Basis Point? So that's like a three-minute view. You come away, you're a little bit smarter. It's true. And for people like you and me, Danny, and neither of us came from the financial world, those are words that fly around in the the meetings, and we sometimes we ourselves don't know what they're talking about. So I, I was behind the creation of that video. You talked about sharing, and it's easy to share this stuff. Like we get a whole series for millennials. It's a simple process. Just send a link to share some knowledge. It's true, and sometimes even just to look at millennials. If you're a boss, for example, and you kind of want to know what what's running through millennials' mind, it might not just be that you want to share 
share it with your friend who's who's uh, a millennial person, but just so you get an idea of what what they're thinking about as they look at the world and finances. And if somebody subscribes, they'll always get the fresh videos. It's true. What will happen is you'll get a notification which will indicate uh, a new video is up. I mean, I know last week, for example, we were able to do a number of videos, and all of them are pretty informative and topical. couple recents. Three financial steps to take before you get married. That was good. Ten retirement killers was very popular. Yes, but that's what's nice about it is to take things that are hot and topical and actually things that you, you might have uh, questions about. Uh, you don't have to watch every video. You have an opportunity to search through our own channel. Uh, there's a magnifying glass on our, our channel page. It's just below our beautiful banner and you can hit that magnifying glass and you can search for Uber or, or Tesla or uh, marriage tips or whatever's in there and we have hundreds of videos that might be of some assistance or maybe information for you. So subscribe today. Go to the Annex Wealth Management channel on YouTube. Greg Batty and Silla, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. It's time for Ask Annex on WTMJ and this one is uh, right from the text line, the talk and text line and uh, well-timed. What is going on with craft. Well, you mean Robert Kraft or Kraft the brand? They made a lot of news. We had a worse day, right? Who would I rather be? Explain, Mark, what happened, first of all, with Robert Kraft. Well, there was a little bit of trouble down in South Florida, I guess, the way I understand it, at least. Couldn't happen to a nicer team. So, uh, (laughs) I think that's a little Midwest Schadenfreude. Yeah, it could be. For sure. That's a ticket holder. Okay, on to Kraft Heinz. Kraft Heinz uh, had a bad day. Stock was down 26% yesterday, Derek, under a, a couple of things. One was an SEC, apparently, an SEC investigation and number two they missed horribly they missed horribly and it and it really it's it's a broader trend this is a stock that's been weak for quite some time and you know people that are 20 30 40 years old just aren't eat, eating those products that are heavy in salt and, and wrapped in pack in plastic packaging you know the craft macaroni and cheese that everyone depended on to feed their young children is obviously not as popular as it once was they've cut prices and that just hasn't helped the other thing that's sort of interesting here too is Warren Buffett's firm owns of almost 25 percent of this company and clearly a four billion dollar hit in one day to uh, to their portfolio is is not a, a normal occurrence I mean we'll have to see how it plays out uh, I would caution it's probably a value trap because there are probably more access to fall here. And Tesla made some news yesterday as well. Well, Tesla's always making news, it seems like. And another significant corporate officer resigned after just two months on the job. Um, there have been any number of folks that have questioned the accounting there, uh, how aggressive they are, whether they're really going to be able to produce at the level that they say. At the same time, that you know, firms that everybody's heard of, like Volkswagen and Porsche, are prepared to, to enter that market. So it's the, the saga of Tesla continues. It's been a volatile stock. And you, know, you mentioned Buffett. He also owns a big piece of Apple, which of course has taken a big hit as well. Well, and apparently in the last quarter, he actually reduced that position and fully eliminated his position in Oracle. He's going to be on a major network on Monday for three hours. I'm sure he'll, he'll add to what the rationale behind those those recent moves. But the fourth quarter was a challenging period for just about everyone. Uh, people really had to question their economic assumptions, what they thought was likely to happen uh, with the change in leadership in Washington. And, you know, unfortunately, those, those with a balanced portfolio, I think, really did win because the areas of the market that people had run away from prior to the fourth quarter actually outperformed into the beginning of this year and vice versa. In about 30 seconds, Dave, um, getting back to Kraft, a lot of mutual funds own that. Well, a lot of investors own a lot of stocks that sometimes they don't know that they own because they haven't done that x-ray of their portfolio. Mutual funds own stocks in a lot of cases or they own bonds in a lot of cases. And it's important to have that x-ray of your portfolio so you always know what you own because when companies are impacted like Kraft was, 
was this week. A lot of mutual fund shareholders are taking the hit to that, and they don't even know it. And you can start that with the uh, portfolio analysis. See where the overlap is. See where the inefficiencies are. Take us for that test drive. I mean, it's absolutely free. It's a free portfolio analysis. Do it. Do it today. You can start right now at AnnexWealth.com. Just click that Get Started button. Know the difference? Team Tech Trust. When you hear the word jargon, that means special words or expressions that are used by a particular profession or group that are difficult for others to understand. Right, Tom? That is correct. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services at Annex, is here. Jargon in finance can really be intimidating. We try to take complex things and we make it simple. But let's talk about 401k jargon. Yeah, there is no shortage of jargon. Throw them at me. Let's see what we got. Yeah, and this comes from a recent study about the language of defined contribution plans from Invesco and found there's a disconnect between the language that sponsors use and the language that everyday investors understand. And I've got to throw the flag. You already used like two of the buzzwords in that description. Amen, brother. I've got to throw the flag. Defined contribution plans. What is that? Think 401k plan. Why don't they just say 401k plan? Well, because there are different types of defined contribution plans. So are profit sharing plans. So think of it like this. The two are defined benefit and defined contribution. Those words are actually super helpful because the way a 401k plan works is it is defined by the money that you put into it, right? And so the money that you contribute to the plan, that's what all the rules surround. Whereas in a pension plan, a defined benefit, a lot of times you're not putting any money in yourself. Even if you are though, what is defined is here's how much you're going to get out of it at some point in time. So define contribution, think these are the rules about putting money into the plan, you know, annual uh, limits and all that stuff, define benefit, think pension, here's how much you're going to get out of it. Because you don't know how much you're going to get out of your 401k plan, but you do know how much you're putting into it. You've held a little. Okay, let's go through some others. Maybe that's going to be the hardest. What is vesting? Vesting. Okay. I always tell people when you think of vesting, think of it like this. Vesting is the money that you get to take with you when you leave your employer. So people will ask me a lot about this when we're talking 401k plans, and I tell them, you don't need to worry about it. As long as you're still working, vesting really, quite frankly, is irrelevant because it only matters when you leave. So it's the portion of your employer contribution. Sometimes there is a vesting schedule, meaning for each year that you work for the employer, you accrue a little bit more and a little bit more uh, ownership in that money, and then at a certain point, you're 100% vested or you have 100% ownership in it, regardless of when you leave. Okay, some other jargon you might hear in 401ks, fiduciary or plan fiduciary. We use the word fiduciary all the time here at yeah. Annex. Right, so a fiduciary is somebody who has a legal financial duty to somebody else. So we at Annex have a legal financial duty to all of our clients. The thing that's different in a 401k plan is the employer is also a fiduciary. They have that legal financial responsibility to act in the best interest of their employees. So if I own ABC Trucking, and I probably should have checked to see if there's actually an ABC Trucking, if I own ABC Trucking and I have a 401k plan for my employees, I am a fiduciary. Yes. Here's another in the 401k jargon terms, target date. So now this one I feel like is pretty straightforward. The idea with a target date fund is it's an investment, a mutual fund that is kind of a fund of funds. And the whole idea of it is you target a certain date in the future for your retirement. And then the manner in which that account is invested takes that into consideration. So generally speaking, let's say you've got a 2050 Vanguard target date fund or a T. Rowe Price target date fund or whatever. That means that you're targeting 2050 as the date for your retirement. So that's like 30 years from now, right? So it's going to that particular fund is going to be invested pretty aggressively right now, but then over time as you get closer to retirement, it will gradually change 
to become more conservative. And that's where it leads into the other, another uh, question you're going to ask me about is glide path. And so the idea, if you think of a glide path, think of it as an airplane, because that's where they came up with the analogy. So as a plane is approaching the runway, just as you're approaching retirement, think of it like that, the altitude changes, the speed changes. Think of that, the risk changes in your portfolio. It's gradually getting lower. So we think high risk, high altitude, low risk, low altitude. So that's where they came up with the idea of a glide path in a target date retirement fund. So we get to knock out two of them with that explanation. Did that that help? It did. Target dates sound really smart. They're a great option for a lot of people. 401k jargon. How about safe harbor? What is that? And this happened to us last week, as a matter of fact. So our HR director sent out an email and said, hey, everyone, your safe harbor contribution is going to be deposited. You know, go check it out. And I, you may recall, replied to everyone, said, for those of you who don't know what that means, think profit sharing contribution. What does qualified plan mean? There you go. So that's another other one that's pretty good, straightforward. Basically, a qualified plan is one that is eligible for special tax treatment and tax benefits. Those benefits can be tax benefits that you receive now, like in the case of a traditional pre-tax, or it could be one a benefit that you receive later in the case of Roth. But really qualified just means the IRS has put its stamp of approval, and now you're going to get some special tax benefits out of it. We're running through some 401k jargon terms. Those are good. Thank you. Tom, in what you do with Annex, how do we simplify things for companies? Especially for those planned fiduciaries, is we help them understand what those responsibilities are. You don't necessarily have to understand all these precise details, I'm still going to tell you about them because I want you to be aware of them. And then I want you to be comfortable knowing that we know what we're talking about and we're taking good care of it for you. The burden is always on those fiduciaries, but we really try to help people better understand and become more comfortable that they know things are being taken care of the way they're supposed to. Well, and when it comes to recruiting, you got to have good benefits. You should have a good 401k. 41% of people in this survey said they would take a 10% pay cut for a company that pays attention to wellness. If you are an employer and you don't think that your benefits are something that people are looking at when they're deciding where they're going to go to work, you're missing the boat. Absolutely. These benefits are important. And explaining them to your employees, that's the other thing that we spend a lot of time doing, is helping employees. We try to avoid some of the participant is a word. That's another term. People are like, what is that? It's somebody who participates in a 401k plan. Employees just a better way of saying that. So that's a big part of our education is both for the employer and the employee. It's just different depending on the subject matter. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement plan services at Annex. Thanks. Thank you. It is Money Talk Annex Wealth Management 1052 up next. Uh, we had a lunch and learn this past week at uh, downtown at the Fister where our newest location is and there was one question that the guys asked uh, Dave Spano and Derek Felsky. What was that? We'll handle that next on Money Talk. Know the difference? It is Team Tech Trust Annex Wealth Management. This is Money Talk Saturday, February 23rd. I'm Danny Clayton. Mark Oswald is here. Derek Felsky and uh, Dave Spano. You guys on Wednesday, we're at the Fister for a lunch and learn. Uh, if you're interested in stuff like that, keep an eye on our website on the events tab. Looked like a great room. Looked like a, a, a really interesting discussion. What were some of the questions you guys were getting? Well, one of the questions that we got was what's keeping us up at night. And you know, I think there was there's two important points of that. There was number one, the short term stuff, and really what happened in the fourth quarter of last year. And I had someone explain something to me that really made a lot of sense. And that blowout on December 24th sure looked like it was the year end rebalancing. You know, there were stories that anywhere from 150 to 200 hedge funds closed their door at the end of 2018 due to poor performance. 
And by that's law, that's a lot of hedge funds that to close. That is, and if you know you're you're cl- near the end of the year and you plan on taking the the week between Christmas and New Year's off, uh, perhaps that's a day your fat finger hit a little bit too hard, and there was a lack of liquidity. So the combination of that plus technical weakness, because that's that's really the only thing I can come up with. Because the day after Christmas, we're up a thousand points. So it was if whoever was in there selling on the day before Christmas was absent two days later. The other thing that happens, of course, and, and a lot of mutual fund managers won't admit this, is they want to own the right names on the last day of the year. So they'll they'll sell out of some of the things that they held and were losers and buy some of the things that did very well for the year just so they look like they held the winner at the end of the year. It's, it's not something that we condone, but it happens. Yeah, yeah. it's window dressing. And Derek, you know, as a recovering mutual fund manager. <laughs> well, well, I can tell you, I can actually tell you a funny story about that. So when I, when I first started in the business in San Francisco, a fellow named Claude Rosenberg, who was who since died but was a terrific money manager we had just acquired an account and I'm looking at all the positions and going through with the whole thing with Claude and Claude, and I say to Claude how did we ever get to this account This they own all the right stocks he goes Derek the key is when did they buy them and that is window dressing so you know the other thing that's keeping us up at night of course is the thing that we talk about is debt and not only debt in this country you know we talk about 22 trillion dollars that is a huge number on a 20 trillion dollar economy and you think about it just in basic math right so so just take $20 trillion, we're going to do some radio math here, and take an, a normal interest rate, something like 5% on that debt, that's a trillion dollars a year in interest only. Think about the significance of that. Can you imagine that? I mean, when you start thinking about interest rates, that's what this becomes really important because a rise in the interest rate as those bonds renew and they renew at a higher rate because the prevailing rate is higher just makes the debt service that much more expensive. And that's going to happen with corporate debt as well. Right. And I think that's why the Fed pause is, you know, they didn't know. They talk about the neutral rate. In the past, the neutral rate might have been a couple of percentage points higher than it is today, primarily because this debt burden exists, that to the degree that rates rise, it will curb economic growth in the future. Uh, the other area where you've got an explosion in debt is on the corporate side. I mean, for for almost a decade, we've had record low interest rates, which has certainly incented companies like an Apple, for example, to do a bond offering at a very low rate, and they just turn right around and buy their stock, and that is a positive financial transaction for shareholders. So that's something we have to watch, which is one of the reasons why we watch, you know, we're on recession watch all the time, whether we believe it's occurring or not. We pay attention to the yield curve. We pay attention to corporate profitability. We try to highlight companies in our portfolios that have positive free cash flow yield and the like so that they're able to weather an economic slowdown, whether it starts in the United States or somewhere else. That's a lot of stuff, guys. And when you start thinking about the individual investor out there, somebody who is trying to manage their own portfolio or somebody who's working with somebody who isn't paying attention and maybe not being as communicative as they could be with their clients, knowing what you own is so important right now. And when you when you look at the ride down in December and thankfully the recovery we've had here in January and February, if you didn't enjoy that ride, get with somebody who's going to do a risk tolerance questionnaire with you. Not just, you know, three or four questions or something like that, but really challenge you to really think about how your relationship with money and risk works together. And if you don't know what you own or why you own something in your portfolio, and your portfolio is everything, your 401k, your 403b, your non-qualified stuff, your IRAs, take a whole holistic look at it as a family. Get that portfolio review if you haven't done it before or it's been a while. Give us a chance to sit down and show you what we can do. We'll do it for free. We'll give you that portfolio review and a framework for financial plan and it'll be a great way to start 2019. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.